it's such an easy mistake to make exactly you know? yeah yeah he has learned from the russians i think <laughs> It's uh, Friday, June 9th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and National Flower Critic. With me today is Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and D66 Watcher. Yeah, Gordon, you had an interesting thread on, um, on Twitter about uh, D66 and its new, or possibly new, MP. Well, no, it's not not D sixty six's new MP, and I think that's the whole kind of uh, uh, the whole issue here that uh, somebody who was very briefly an MP for D sixty six, Sydney Smates, is now uh, possibly or is entitled to go back to Parliament, but as an independent, yes, uh, for very confusing reasons. Um, <laughs> so perhaps we should explain. And then the reason this is significant, of course, is that uh, D66 will lose, if, if, he, if he does decide to take the seat up, which is entitled to, D66 will lose a seat, which means a coalition loses a seat, and then majority in the lower house is down to down to like one seat. Yeah. And of course, they don't have a majority in the Senate either. So it makes things very precarious. But basically, Sydney Smates uh, res uh, resigned as an MP um, in uh, April 2021. He'd been an MP for 17 whole days. Um, he did some um, did, uh, messages he sent on dating apps to young men uh, had, had, had come to light. Uh, some of the uh, people he'd been in contact with said that the messages were inappropriate, and others said that, um, that they were underage at the time. Yeah. Now, Smates denied all this and because Smates is a lawyer we should stress that uh, he did that he does deny it but nevertheless he resigned at the, at the time he said it was to uh, protect the reputation of uh, Parliament uh, and um, and of himself uh, and so he quit Parliament uh, he also then left the DCC6 party DCC6 remembers it slightly differently they basically said that he he jumped before he was pushed hmm. they were planning to have an inquiry into his behavior but when he decided to quit the party they then decided and and give up his seat they decided there was no point yeah. uh, spending time on an inquiry because DCC6 has lots of other scandals to uh, <laughs> to investigate you know and quite frankly they were, they were, their hands are far too full yeah. anyway the upshot of this was that um, Smates then was not an MP but now two DCC6 uh, members have uh, given up their seats it's quite off, uh, happens quite often in Dutch politics that during yeah. a parliamentary term somebody gets offered a job as a local mayor or they, they get put into the Senate and in yeah. this case both these things have happened one yeah, DCC6 MP is now becoming a senator the other is becoming a local mayor and so two seats come up for grabs and under the rules the seat is then offered first of all to the next person on the list of candidates for the previous election hmm. whether or not they're still members of the party <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the next person on the list is Sidney Smates so that's yeah. why he is uh, potentially now he now has 28 days to decide or uh, I think from the date the Senate was installed which was the 31st of May he had 28 days to decide whether or not to take up the seat yeah uh, and because according to the election law, he is elected, so he yeah. has a right to the seat, uh, regardless of his uh, membership of the party he was elected for. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that uh, that is an interesting, uh, uh, always very interesting uh, to see these kind of things happen in, in, in Dutch politics. And also, apparently, 
um, becoming a mayor of Nieuwegein is uh, more interesting <laughs> than uh, being a member of parliament. So yeah, it's um, Vera Bergkamp, uh, who is also D66, uh, of course, the chair of the Tweede Kamer. She, uh, she has complained on numerous occasions that uh, it happens way too often that MPs in the middle of their term decide to uh, yeah, switch jobs uh, uh, f- for whatever reason, especially when they are only uh, an MP for two years or something, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the um, that um, that is a, that is a problem. But um, yeah, uh, Kadir Arib had the same thing as well, yeah. and she had the same beef. Especially, I think uh, she was particularly annoyed when, as you say, firstly if they give up their seats uh, when they've only been in Parliament for a short time, but also if they if they take jobs in like local government, yeah. so they become like a, an alderman in uh, for uh, yeah after local elections, quite a couple of MPs quit to become aldermen. In in the local area, or they or they offer jobs as a mayor. It's always a, the, the area boys frowned on that kind of thing. She yeah. said, "If you've been elected to parliament, you should see out your term." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving on to flowers. Moving uh, on to flowers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently, uh, the Netherlands has elected uh, a new national flower uh, this week. And it's week. not the tulip. And it's not the tulip, and that's yeah. where my criticism comes from. Because mm. ask someone around the world. What is your what what do you think of when when I say Holland? This person will probably say wheat, prostitution, and then tulip. Mm-hmm. Um, so why on earth we decided not to uh, elect the tulip as a national flower? I don't know, but instead yeah. it has become the daisy. And um, the and re- why have they chosen the daisy? Because that was because the tulip wasn't in the shortlist uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think uh, the the um, a radio program Vroege Vogels uh, organized the election and they, uh, they said they hadn't put the tulip in the list because um, it isn't grown it doesn't grow in the wild in the Netherlands so it isn't but, a native I flower I mean nothing grows in the wild in the Netherlands no. because there is no natural <laughs> landscape right no and, and there's a stickstuff problem uh, <laughs> as well yeah, so, well but it's just lots of weeds so really um, <laughs> you know our, our national flower should be some kind of big weed like rucola or something <laughs> Indeed, yes. And also, I don't know why this is a concern, because our national animal is a lion. Well, the last time I checked, a lion doesn't uh, uh, live in the Netherlands, uh, at least not in the wild. Um, And, um, yeah, I I don't think... I I mean, the the national animal of Wales is a a dragon, right? It's a dragon, yeah, they don't even exist. The national national animal of uh, Scotland is a unicorn. Oh, yeah, uh, so... So yeah, I don't know. It's a stupid. It's a stupid, stupid election. I don't, a stupid criterion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, in the, the article says that um, uh, of course the tulip originates from Turkey, uh, and uh, that's why it is uh, the national flower of Turkey. But it's also the national flower of Hungary, which mm. surprised me a little bit. Uh, I don't really. Um, uh, associate Hungary with tulips, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but tulips were, of course, introduced in the Netherlands uh, in the 16th century, and uh, yeah, it has been a a winning team ever since. Yeah, yeah, it, and it hasn't, um, yeah, caused any kind of economic collapse or no. uh, anything like that. It's been <laughs> a wholly, wholly benign addition to to our culture, so we should be celebrating it. Indeed. Um, yeah, yeah. So, are we going to now see? Does that mean we're now going to see um, stalls at Schiphol Airport selling wooden daisies? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I think so. Yes. So, um, uh, speaking of the outdoors, uh, I see it's going to be a very um, uh, hot weekend after 
all the complaints we've had in the last few weeks about uh, the about it being very wet and cold and windy, uh, the temperature is going to shoot up to nearly thirty degrees. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Will it be the first summery day in the Netherlands or not? I think today, Friday, is due to be, I think. Oh, I think really? Okay. Go, I think we're going to go way over 25 degrees, actually. Uh-huh. Well, um, it's only a summer... Yeah, some places at um, some uh, uh, places in the south of the Netherlands and at some um, uh, theme parks, uh, they're actually um, handing out uh, free sun cream. Okay. So uh, they're using the old uh, uh, the hand dispensers that we ah. uh, set up everywhere during <laughs> during COVID have now been repurposed uh, to 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 uh, to dispense sun lotion. So I thought that was quite a good creative use of uh, uh, the outcome of the pandemic. It so, really is, yes. But yeah. it's uh, it it it's <clears throat> it's only an official hot day when it's uh, when it reaches twenty five degrees in the build, right? So uh, that, exactly, is the, yeah. that is the criteria. After yeah. uh, uh, if that's not the case, then it doesn't count as a summery day or hot no. day. No. Um, moving on to the uh, op of the week, and this time it comes from Amsterdam Central Station, which, after decades of construction and renovation works, is set to undergo a new round of improvements yet again. Uh, Transport Minister Viviane Heine informed the Tweede Kamer this week that due to the works, there is not enough space available for luggage and passport checks at the station. And as a result, Eurostar has to halt its high-speed services from the Dutch capital to London for at least seven months from June 2024. And this can possibly even be extended to 11 months. Tourists, politicians, uh, environmental uh, groups, train enthusiasts, everyone alike were outraged by the news much like Eurostar itself. A spokesman said Eurostar is currently running four trains between the two capitals and the cancellations might add 21 extra flights from Schiphol to London, uh, which he said was ridiculous. Mm. Um, Meanwhile, a furious Eurostar also rejected the government's proposal to operate the train service from Rotterdam because it's apparently a loss-making departure point and, uh, yeah, Nobody wants to go to Rotterdam, apparently, from London. No, exactly. Although lots of people want to leave Rotterdam. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, uh, and then uh, I, yeah, I, I say I, I have travelled on Eurostar from Rotterdam, and uh, yeah, the, the, the security check is uh, like you yes to go up to a room in the roof of the station up in the oh, really? and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it is really inconvenient. It, it's not very well set up at all, and there's no way that they could process all the passengers that want to travel stop, travel from Amsterdam in Rotterdam Central Station. Yes, because the security facilities at Rotterdam apparently can only process 160 passengers per train, and that is uh, more than 100 fewer than in Amsterdam. And also, yeah, nobody wants to uh, go to Rotterdam anyway. Mm. The the return trip is the problem here. So Eurostar says, yeah, there's no point of us uh, 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 running trains from London to Rotterdam if it's a money-losing uh, exercise. Hmm. Um, the infrastructure ministry, the rail operator ProRail and Eurostar are now desperately looking into ways to keep Eurostar departing from Amsterdam. But um, yeah, the problem is that uh, because um, um, uh, the United Kingdom has left the European Union, yep. everything uh, 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 yeah, further than the security checks is an international zone. And that has uh, such specific requirements that you can't um, have a construction site, um, uh, you can't combine a construction site with that international zone. So there's simply no, probably no way to uh, to uh, um, come up with a solution. Um, but hopefully they will find one because, you know, seven months of uh, no train services uh, is just ridiculous. Even though I have to say that before Eurostar started operating from Amsterdam, 
we all went by train as well to London. We just had to go to to Brussels first. So. Yeah. But then of course uh, the Britain was in the European Union then, so it's a much more straightforward transfer. Whereas now, you're going to have to get the train to Brussels, then get off, then go through the security check, and then get on your train to London. But except you're not going to do that because you're just going to book a plane instead. Yeah. So. Yeah. Probably. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, uh, probably for uh, for people from Amsterdam uh, departing yeah. from Amsterdam. That's a better solution. But Perhaps the people from Rotterdam can still, uh, it's still a an, 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 a good option. But yeah, as you said, it's just a hassle to just get off a train and then go to security and then hop on the train again. Yeah, um, and the, the main reason for taking Eurostar is, is a convenience. The fact yeah. you end up, you go straight from city centre to city centre. You don't have all the hassle of um, uh, going through uh, airport security. But, uh, you know, if you have to break your journey midway through and go through security in Brussels, you're not <laughs> yeah. going to bother. That's right. Basically. Especially it's because, uh, yeah, it's in Brussels and that's also... Uh, yes, of all places. Yeah. yeah it's It'll also, probably be raining. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you won't notice because you're on the ground in, uh, yes, what is true. it, uh, Brussels Central Station? Yes. Yeah, Brussels, Brussels uh, South. Yeah, Br- Br- Brussels Midi, Brussels, Brussels South. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but there's also uh, the, on, on the brighter note, the, there's been talk of uh, the the city of Gronia being connected to civilization at long last, right? <laughs> yes, because train <laughs> operator Arriva, we have more than one oper- train operators in the Netherlands apart yeah. from the NS. Uh, Arriva uh, focuses their services on the north and on the south, I think, of the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. They are now planning to open a train service between Groningen and Paris, a direct train. They yeah. say you can. Uh, uh, hop on the train at something around six o'clock and then uh, arrive in Paris at 11 and the return trip uh, starts at uh, seven I believe um, it made it, this plan made a lot of people laugh a little bit mm-hmm. um, because Arriva we we associate that with very small tiny trains with yeah. no one on board so yeah it's uh, it, it, it is a very ambitious plan by by Arriva uh, it's they, a step up isn't it yeah yeah and um, yeah the, a lot of the tweets on this were speculated on what local stations uh, they yeah. were going to stop at <laughs> on the way because every local broadcaster that reported on this uh, mentioned their their local town as being a stop on the route between Groningen and Paris yes. so we're going to end up with the train to Paris that stops at Meppel and Bailen <laughs> and um, yeah, Almira <laughs> yes uh, I, w- my, I would say just extend that train service to Eemshaven in the north of Groningen because <laughs> yeah. there's also because it, it, it that station is directly at the ferry uh, ah. access point right and that ferry yeah. goes to Norway so yeah Norway yeah do so you that have a direct then, uh, overland or well, land and sea route from I know, from Norway straight through to Paris yeah yes you you only have to uh, you only have to uh, switch once and that is uh, the same amount as uh, going from Rotterdam to London so yeah, yeah. that's uh, uh, yeah. I wonder if um, Kroning is going to fill up with Parisians now I wonder how many <laughs> people are going to take the trip the other way <laughs> <laughs> I hope Arifa has a solid business plan here <laughs> This week, uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte faced an angry room of both his own party members and MPs. Uh, the Dutch economy might be heading for a recession, much like the number of bees and butterflies. The Peace Palace in The Hague was the scene of a bizarre performance by Russian lawyers. And I'm looking forward to the sports sections that is, I'm promised, filled with cricket news. <laughs> 
Prime Minister Mark Rutte had a busy week starting with the VVD party conference in Apeldoorn last weekend where angry members demanded he take more steps to reduce the number of asylum seekers arriving in the Netherlands. Rutte was accused of failing to deliver on his promise last autumn to take substantial measures to stop immigrants from crossing the border. Parliamentary VVD leader Sophie Hermans urged the Prime Minister to hurry up and warned that the largest coalition party could pull the plug out of the cabinet if they don't see a way forward on this issue. Which is, I think, the first time in 13 years uh, uh, of, of Mark Rutte being a Prime Minister that his own party threatened to uh, yeah, withdraw its support yeah. for, for his coalition. Yeah. Um, Rutte's promises came after an unprecedented rebellion by usually extremely loyal VVD MPs last November. Uh, they threatened to vote against a law by asylum minister and their own party member Erik van den Burg that would allow the government to force local councils to accommodate refugees uh, in order to spread them more evenly around the country. The law was a response to the scenes of overcrowding at the refugee reception center in Ter Apel during the summer, which were described by Doctors Without Borders as degrading and inhumane. Rutte said that he is still working hard on his promises, both in the coalition and in Europe, but he added that he would have taken an irresponsible risk if he had tried to force an outcome of these complicated talks for the start of the conference. Yeah. And Rutte, of course, as well this week has been cozying up to other um, uh, right wing uh, leaders in Europe, including the Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Meloni, where they've uh, seemed to have struck a deal on, on changing the rules to try and tighten up the rules, basically, on, on uh, allowing migrants into Europe. Um, so is that going to save Rutte, do you think? Uh, it might be, and also um, uh, if the VVD members love anything, it is seeing their prime minister being the, the great statesman yeah, in, the statesman, in Europe yeah. and abroad. So yeah, whenever he uh, he is, uh, yeah, he can be welcomed somewhere. Uh, th they are happy, and especially if it uh, also includes a, a migration deal. Um, yeah. I believe he is uh, set to go to Tunisia together with Maloney and mm. um, uh, Ursula von der Leyen to to strike a deal. At, it might be. Similar, a similar deal as he had struck uh, with Turkey in, when was it, a couple of years ago? Yeah, that was a deal with Turkey that Turkey basically would, would get money from Europe to accommodate more asylum seekers um, yeah. that were due to be, or that were waiting to be processed uh, to enter Europe. Right? Yes. And I think Tunisia is being offered the same kind of package. Yes. And the that idea would, trying uh, to stop people crossing the Mediterranean in boats and... And drowning, and um, yeah, yeah, and also just outraging Italian politicians. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And um, there's also uh, mi migration ministers also met in Luxembourg yesterday evening. Yeah. They have also uh, come up with a uh, package with a with a deal. Um, to be honest, I'm <laughs> unfamiliar with the details because we are recording very early on uh, on Friday morning, so I yeah. haven't really uh, catched up with that. But um, 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 I think Rutte is. Uh, uh, might be a little bit uh, 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 annoyed that these uh, these uh, developments come a week after uh, his party conference, and he couldn't uh, make his party members happy with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the twenty seven EU countries rather selfishly didn't take the uh, the Dutch VVD weekend conference into account when they were scheduling this. In Apeldoorn, this. yes, the yeah, place in Apeldoorn, yeah, all places. <clears throat> Which is probably also a stop on the line from Cronia down to Paris. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, but, but, but one of the things that. Uh, 
uh, is in this deal is that is this principle of uh, what's called uh, um, a mandatory or enforced solidarity, where countries will be obliged basically to uh, to accept uh, um, migrants from uh, that arrive in Italy and Greece. So at the moment, Italy and Greece, obviously because they are the countries on the sea border, yeah. take disproportionately large amounts of migrants. So now uh, they will be forcibly dispersed around Europe. It's interesting that Rutte signed up for this when his party is so against forcibly dispersing asylum seekers within the Netherlands. That's uh, exactly really right. Yeah, it sounds yeah. really, really like uh, like the spreading law or the dwangwet, yeah. depending on who you ask. But on yeah. a European level, yes, um, uh, it, it it does make things fairer, I think, for uh, for the Southern European countries because yeah, yeah. The, the 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 size of of uh, Im- immigrants coming uh, coming into Greece and 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 Spain and uh, Italy, it's just. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, uh, unfair to put all the burden there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we have to uh, wait and see how uh, how the packages will, uh, 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 how the MPs will respond to the packages and uh, if they are happy with it or not. Yeah. So that was um, migration, which is one big issue, or one big headache for Greta. Another one has been uh, the ongoing uh, inquiry into Honia Gas, which uh, was debated in Parliament this week. Uh, what happened uh, in that debate? Yeah, uh, it, Rutte appeared in the Tweede Kamer for a two-day-long debate uh, on the report of the uh, Groningen Gas scandal by a parliamentary inquiry committee. Um, the two-year inquiry concluded in its 2,000-page thick uh, report that for six decades the interests of the people of Groningen were systematically ignored by the government and oil companies and that making money remained the dominant concern when gas extraction started to cause earthquakes. Uh, these earthquakes uh, yeah, caused uh, damage to uh, at least 85,000 buildings uh, and uh, the damage suffered by locals, both material and mental, were consistently underestimated and the maximization of profit was the guiding force. That was what the uh, what the damning conclusions of this mm. um, uh, report was. Uh, the decision to stop the exploitation of the massive Groninger gas field was made in 2018, but only after some 1,600 earthquakes had struck the province and yeah many thousands of buildings were damaged uh, because of that and in response to the inquiry the cabinet promised to spend 22 billion euros in the next 30 years to improve the quality of life in Groningen as part of its uh, depth of honor as they described it to the people of Groningen uh, but in uh, contrast uh, the Dutch state um, uh, earned 360 billion euros um, mm. Uh, 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 extracting gas in the past uh, uh, 60 decades and MPs pointed out that um, the whole country have has profited from that uh, for example the the famous delta works that uh, protect Zeeland uh, and uh, part of the western uh, and, and, and 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 west of the country against uh, the sea were primarily funded by uh, profits made from from uh, gas extractions, for yeah. example, just to 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 uh, to give one example, um, and it was um, SP MP Sandra Beckerman who said, "Yeah, we also need a Delta plan for Groningen f- uh, to yeah. Uh, yeah to restore trust and to to restore all the damages and to make it uh, a, a livable place again." Um, we have yeah. earned so enough. So basically, going to undermine Groningen to save Zeeland, kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, that that she, she said the people of Groningen were happy to do that, of course, but yes. um, yeah, yeah uh, uh, 
now six decades later uh, we see the the results of that and um uh, the the serious concerns the damages the earthquakes they they were just weren't taken seriously for way too long mm. um, and that has to be repaired now so yeah we need a new plan for Groningen uh, and she said that this 22 billion euros which the government has pledged to spend is not enough uh, Groningen has asked for uh, much more than that um, and also to make it a more livable place because Groningen is an empty province um, uh, uh, libraries are closing uh, bus mm. stops are being taken away uh, uh, you name it and all these uh, government facilities uh, have been uh, uh, the, the, the province has also been depleted by these uh, basic uh, facilities and uh, yeah we need to restore that as well that yeah. was just one of the uh, Sandra Beckerman is also uh, she has uh, lived in Groningen she has grown up there um, that also uh, is the case for uh, Henk Nijboer, a oh. Labour MP so they were during the debate very yeah, personally involved to say the least and uh, yeah. uh, also the um, public gallery was also filled with uh, yeah, people from, from Groningen and uh, yeah, that, uh, that made it a, a very emotional uh, debate I think I mean, there's some quite serious accusations against Grutter as well, including uh, claims that he'd actually lied under oath during the inquiry, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, um, uh, also, um, yeah, they, they accused him of lying on, on several occasions. He has been prime minister for 13 years, of course. The decision to, to, to stop the gas extraction has been made in 2018, but that was, at that point, he was already prime minister for eight years. And um, the, uh, the, the, these MPs, they said, for eight years, you have basically ignored uh, all the signs and all the uh, serious concerns by the people of Groningen. And... Um, also, uh, Mark Rutte has had said during the uh, uh, parliamentary inquiry committee hearing that he only realized the seriousness of the uh, situation in 2018. Mm. But um, yeah, the MPs have pointed out in 2017, you were sitting in a uh, live television broadcast with a uh, you know, opposite of a group of angry people from Groningen. Why mm. did it take an extra year for you to uh, to to um, realize the seriousness of the, uh, of the situation? Um, so, yeah, there were all sorts of accusations. Um, uh, 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 MPs called on him to take political responsibility and resign, much like he did with the child benefit scandal, which conveniently was uh, three months before the uh, a new set of elections. Mm. This time, Rutte said he is not going to resign because he believes that uh, he can still be part of the solution. But yeah, that uh, these MPs are not confident that he is because the compensation schemes and the reparation processes, you know, they have taken so long, and uh, people, uh, 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 yeah, uh, 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 stranded in a bureaucratic nightmare when they when they reported damages to their house. Mm. So yeah, they they lost their confidence uh, in him. They have lost uh, confidence in him uh, many times. So there was yeah. another vote of no confidence, which uh, didn't pass. Um, the entire opposition supported this, except the SGP. Um, but yeah, that wasn't enough for uh, for Mark Rutte to be sent home.
No, but uh, yeah, that, 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 I mean, it's become such a commonplace now to table emotional conf- no confidence um, that it's become completely uh, degraded as a gesture, really. It's yeah. uh, almost an empty thing. You know, that, uh, okay, and in this occasion, it was uh, Jesse Klava who ta- tabled the, the no confidence motion, but usually it's Geert Wilders or uh, Wiebe von Hacher or somebody like that. But yeah, um, yeah the, but within the province of Koning, I think certainly I mean, the, 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 the trust in government is absolutely rock bottom and... Um, it's going to take a very long time to rebuild it, even with, even if they have the best of intentions. Um, when you look at how how slow and painstaking the how grinding the um, compensation process compensation process has been, and how householders have until recently had to basically prove that um, that the, the damage to their house had been caused by the earthquakes, which was the result of um, the gas extraction and uh, 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 and the um, you know, the NAM, the company in charge of um, uh, uh, the gas extraction, the joint venture of Shell and Exxon, uh, often put up a lot of resistance and uh, delayed uh, decisions um, uh, that would lead to compensation payments and try to limit their liability. Um, yeah. And then when finally compensation was arranged, it was such it, it was very it was quite limited amounts of money, and often there was a, there was a cap on how much was actually made available and that meant that uh, you actually saw people queuing you know in the cold in mid-january yeah. outside a council office because they were told that once x million uh, euros worth of compensation had been uh, allocated then that was it the, the, the well was dry so yeah yeah and now yeah. Um, as part of the yeah uh, in an effort to streamline the reparations the cabinet has uh, initially said that uh, all damages up to forty thousand euros will yeah. be uh, reimbursed no question asked but yeah that led to more criticism because you know the people with uh, uh, the 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 biggest problems and with the biggest damages they are not helped with that yeah. uh, because their damages often uh, yeah uh, exceed uh, this not this this amount um, but um, but mining minister uh, Hans Felbrief said that with this we help 98% of all the cases because you know most most damages are cracks and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So um, he pledged to uh, to uh, increase this number to even 60,000 euros that will um, uh, help 99% of all the of all the damages. Um, but yeah, the it's um, it's um, it's such an enormous. Um, uh, yeah, undertaking to to help everybody. It's uh, yeah. it's it's immensely frustrating for everyone who has damages and who is still for many years waiting for their houses to be repaired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a mess. The specter of recession is edging closer. This week, the three major Dutch banks all downgraded their growth forecasts for 2023, which were already quite modest. And the economic planning agency, CPB, said a mild recession was a real option. Peter Hasenkamp, director of the CPB, said we did take a more somber scenario into account in our March forecast and recent figures have made that more likely. So Abbe and Amo now expects GDP to grow by 0.7% this year and 1% in 2024. Rabobank predicts 0.6% growth this year and 0.9% next year. And ENG believes the economy will grow by just 0.4% this year, although it is more optimistic about 2024 when it expects growth of 1.2%. Okay, um, this all sounds very bad, but I only care... Um, about the rest of Europe, are we doing <laughs> the best, or, or I assume we are doing the best? We can still bring in our golden medal, or not? Uh, no, no. Uh, oh. In fact, we're on the worst. We're the oh, really? one of the worst to uh, perform. Even no. worse than Belgium? 
I believe worse in Belgium, yes. Yeah, one of the worst performing economies in the EU, at least wow. in the first quarter of uh, 2023. Although the CBS does point out that um, the, the, we've recovered better than most other nations from the COVID pandemic as a whole. Hmm. Um, okay. So there's some there's, there's some, some slack, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nevertheless, a 0.7% drop in the first quarter of the year came as an unwelcome surprise. Uh, Germany's economy also shrank, but by 0.3%. Um, and uh, that has uh, uh, put them into recession because they had negative growth in the last quarter of 2022. The disappointing figures uh, from the Netherlands and Ireland, which dropped by 4.6%. There's been, I see, some um, uh, serious question marks about those figures because it doesn't really hmm. seem to um, yeah, be, 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 be borne out really in the, uh, the, the actual health of the Irish economy. But anyway, that meant the, the Eurozone as a whole is technically in recession, according to Eurostat, although the drop is uh, just 0.1% in both quarters. So it's a, it's a very small recession. But technically, if your economy yeah. shrinks two quarters in a row, you are in recession. Yes. Uh, yes. The 27 euro nations as a whole did avoid a recession narrowly and there was a lot of diversity portugal's economy for example grew by 1.6 percent in the first mm. quarter interesting yeah um so we are going to have to tighten our belts now uh yes i mean the uh, the, the the government always already uh, indicated this uh, in its uh, spring budget statements the four years nota uh, which is uh, a kind of prelude to the full budget in september where it talked about uh, the need for budget cuts for the first time uh Kar basically said that uh, because uh, interest rates have gone uh, up from well they were zero a year ago basically we've forgotten that but uh, you know the ecb has raised Free interest money. rates to three and a half percent from sorry Free money, remember that. It was free money, yeah, exactly. I mean, not just that, but actually it was uh, was negative for a while. So you actually got money back when you got cash back when you borrowed. So, um, but that's all gone. I still don't understand anything of that, but... uh, Me neither, but it it, it was a thing uh, until (laughs) until quite recently. And certainly when the cabinet took office, of course, they had these huge spending plans because it thought it would just be able to borrow money for nothing. But, well, that's uh, that's all uh, gone by the wayside. And one of the other ways the Netherlands is swimming against the tide is that inflation is rising. Um, so it climbed from 4.4% in March to 5.2% in April and 6.1% in May. Hmm. Uh, food prices particularly are still rising fast. Uh, they were up 13.2% year on year in May, although that is slightly less than uh, the previous month. And I mean, some products are coming down in price. I noticed cucumbers when I went to the supermarket last oh. week. Uh, this week at 52 cents, down from 72 oh. cents last week. Okay. And I, I have seen cucumbers in the store for almost a euro, I think. No, well, you're, you're in the wrong shop then. Okay. Because uh, no, they're fifty-two cents for I go shopping. Um, no, not this week, but in but a couple of a couple of months ago, I think. Oh well, they see yeah. a couple of months ago, yes, yeah, so they, yeah. they were well over a euro to in in the in the winter. Yeah, about right. March, yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. No, they come. Just check out. I don't know how often you eat cucumbers, but uh, check out the price next time you're in, in your shopping. You might be surprised. Butter is now how butter, much? Yeah, butter is now coming down in price as well. Apparently. Um, hmm. Uh, quite fast and butter according to people who understand these things butter is quite uh, a positive indicator because it's it's a product that's sold on very short term contracts so Ah. the price of butter is coming down that's um, a sign that possibly other things that are sold on longer term contracts will come down in in, in the next few months so stop reading tea leaves yeah start Start reading reading butter butter prices yes Yeah. yeah exactly uh, the CBS also said that wage rises are keeping pace with inflation. The average pay increase this year so far has been 6%. 
And uh, the FNFA union uh, have just negotiated a 10% pay rise for the 330,000 supermarket workers. So perhaps hmm. that uh, yeah. means that cucumbers will go up again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm afraid it will. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, interesting now I come to think of it that uh, in English you say reading tea leaves and we in Dutch we say read coffee residue. Coffee beans? No, yeah. co- oh, co- coffee granules. Yeah. Coffee dick kijken. So it's uh, reading yeah. coffee uh, residue. So, um, uh, so are we worried about uh, all these developments or not? Yeah, um, yeah, unsurprisingly, people are uh, worried. The CBS, uh, that they are again reported a big increase this week in the number of people who are worried about their financial future. They do a survey every year, and uh, the, the figures for this year are uh, yeah, quite a contrast to last year. Hmm. Uh, young adults under 25, single parents, and low earners are most likely to be concerned they wouldn't have enough money in the future. Uh, women are also more worried about their finances than men, and renters were more pessimistic than homeowners. But overall... More than 28% of people were very concerned about their financial future, which is up from 22.5% last year. So quite a jump. Um, and it follows about a decade of gradually falling figures. And it's the highest figure since 2015 as well. Hmm. Um, despite the fact that, I mean, record numbers of people are in work. Uh, this is a bit of a puzzle, I think, that uh, there's lots of economic clouds on the horizon. But the jobs market looks in very, very good health. I mean, the Uwe Feier, hmm. the state employment... Uh, agency or regulator says the number of jobs is expected to grow by 1.4% this year and 0.5% in 2024, although there will be fewer vacancies. Yes, so um, yeah, hopefully the butter is right and uh, we are heading towards better times. Yeah, hopefully we'll fall with our nose in the butter. <laughs> it's a Dutch phrase if people aren't familiar with it. Look it up. Look it up, yeah. Droughts in the Netherlands are not caused by climate change, but mostly by bad water management, experts have said on current uh, affairs program Newsuur. Imagine the Dutch being bad at water management. Things are really slipping away. It's nothing sacred. Yeah. According to data from the Royal Dutch Meteorological Institute, KNMI, who is... Uh, uh, frantically looking at the uh, thermometer uh, uh, in the build, I think, right now, yeah. um, say that precipitation has increased by 9% in the last 60 years. Not because it's raining more frequently, but because the intensity of showers is greater. And even though the climate has become wetter, droughts have become a pressing issue. Water management in the Netherlands is mainly focused on agriculture, uh, which uh, benefits from uh, lower uh, groundwater levels. But mm. reducing these too much during wet periods leads to shortages in drier conditions. Did the months of rain we just had help? A little bit. Groundwater levels are currently back at former levels, but the deeper system is still depleted, the experts yeah. said. Yeah, and we have suddenly hit a dry spell. I think it hasn't rained for about four weeks now, all of a sudden, after that very wet weather we had that we all remember from the winter months. Um, And uh, I think I read somewhere that uh, if if it does... Uh, if it stops raining, it only takes something like ten days uh, for the uh, for all the water that's uh, fallen and settled in the soil to dry up or, hmm. to, or, to, or to be consumed. Yeah, so. especially because uh, yeah, everything is already pumped away because yeah. we need our cows to have dry feed. So yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, one of the main issues. Yes. 
Yeah. And speaking of uh, depletion and things uh, uh, disappearing, uh, there's serious concerns about uh, bees and butterflies. Yes, the number of uh, these animals spotted in the wild has fallen significantly this year. The uh, bumblebee numbers have halved, and that is uh, putting the pollination and survival of certain plants in serious danger, as well as uh, yeah, a lot of farmers also depend on uh yeah the uh, these animals to uh, to uh, uh pollinate their crops so yeah that's also uh, uh, a major concern um, and the annual uh, spring butterfly count shows that the average number of butterflies have gone down has gone down by 20 percent sometimes uh, to 30 percent even compared to preceding years and that makes 2023 the worst year since the count began in 1990. Um, experts are hoping that the wet weather kept the bees from view, but the more likely scenario is that the number have been affected by last year's dry summer that has limited nectar and pollen, pollen supplies uh, for the small animals. And biologists also said that the insect habitats are under threat from nitrogen pollution and, here it is again, poor water management. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's all putting rare and vulnerable species at risk, but uh, not even them, also the more common species as well. So, another casualty of Dickstoff, of the yeah. nitrogen pollution. Yeah. It's time once again to just uh, slip in a word of thanks to all those wonderful patrons who pollinate this podcast with your <laughs> donations so that we can keep flitting between the flowers of news and bringing you all the latest on the political earthquakes, the collapse of the natural order, economic meltdown, and the mind-boggling range of excuses Russia keeps coming out with for its war crimes. If you like that kind of thing, or at least think it's kind of important, you can back our efforts by donating via Patreon for as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month. We don't have any new patrons to thank this month, but a special shout-out to new patron Jeffrey Egger, who recently asked us to include more cricket news, but uh, he's now got back to us to admit that he was basically just trolling Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we did get some requests, though. Uh, I think it was Robin specifically who was uh, yeah. at one of the expat fairs, yeah. and some people asked uh, uh, us to, to include more cricket news. So uh, we will, but uh, not too much. Yeah, this is your go-to podcast for, for Dutch cricket news. <laughs> so thanks uh, again, uh, Jeffrey, for putting a smile on our faces, well, mine anyway, and uh, please keep listening. <laughs> and if anyone else would like to become a sponsor of the podcast, uh, all you need to do is log on to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash DutchNewsNL. I mean, I don't mind about cricket news. I just know, don't know what the hell is going on whenever you're talking about it. But that's true of everyone who watches cricket, really. Uh, yeah, I, I, I understand that. But you use words that I don't think even exist. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can just make something up and it just sounds just as ridiculous yeah. as, as the real words are. Yeah. Speaking of uh, ridiculous words. So speaking of ridiculous <laughs> words and concepts and uh, yeah, Byzantine structures, it's time for this week's dose of Russian excuses. Russia didn't shoot down flight MH17, the regime in Kiev is descended from Nazi collaborators, and Ukraine blew up the Novokokova Dam. Oh. The International Court of Justice in The Hague this week was treated to a greatest hits collection of Russia's bizarre and grotesque conspiracy theories surrounding the war in Ukraine and world politics in general. Whose water management is worse, ours or Russians? Yeah, I don't know. Their bullshit management is in, is in oh, good yeah. working order, but um, yeah. 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 
Agents for Vladimir Putin's regime claimed, among other things, that the government in Kiev had no moral authority, and the case against the three men convicted of shooting down Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 in July 2014, with 298 civilians on board, was a digital confection of fake videos cobbled together by amateur bloggers and propagandists. This was a beautiful sentence, I have to say. <laughs> it was wonderful, yeah. yeah well. Although later on they sort of admitted there was real evidence uh, from a Russian weapons manufacturer, Almaz Ante, who make the book missiles but apparently they caved in under pressure from those ruthless hoodlums at the Dutch safety board hmm. who go around the world terrorizing innocent uh, and naive Russian weapons manufacturers into handing over um, information and the Netherlands then uses it against Russia like pieces of an actual book missile I mean Chibi Joustra can be really persuasive so yes. yeah I, I he, he does uh, just strike fear into people's hearts when that's right just, yes just look at him yeah there's also a bizarre bit about a bow tie, but yeah, for that you'll really have to look up uh, Molly Quell's Twitter feed for the full context, um, because I can't even begin to explain it. I just read it and I also don't know what this is about. Um, so, uh, what is the actual case before the ICJ? Yeah, Ukraine filed a lawsuit in 2017, which accused Russia of financing terrorism operations by arming the so-called People's Republics in Donetsk and Luhansk. But lawyers for Russia claimed there was no question of terrorism because people in those areas were allegedly fighting back against Ukrainian discrimination. Hmm. And then more intriguingly, one of the lawyers representing Russia, Kirill Udovichenko, said that uh, the terrorism case should be thrown out because it was indisputable that there was an international armed conflict. Which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> I kind of thought there, there, there was no war and it was a special military operation and a peacekeeping mission. Yes, and a dam breaching mission apparently. A mission to repair the dam by blowing it up. Uh, Ukraine said on the first day of the two-week hearing that Russia's actions were the actions of a terrorist state and an aggressor, and it should be held responsible for the violence perpetrated by the separatist groups in eastern Ukraine, including the shooting down of Flight MH17. The Donetsk People's Republic had no legal authority to fire weapons in Ukraine, lawyer David Zionz told the court. Yeah, uh, surreal scenes at the Peace Palace, uh, to say the least. Um, yeah. The audacity with which Russia claims these sort of things, it just, uh, it's ridiculous and it's terrible. It's kind of profoundly odd and surreal, and at the same time, I think, quite comforting to see that there are actually court cases going on you know, about uh, yeah. this war while the war is happening. You know, we're not just waiting for the guns to stop, that Ukraine is also filing lawsuits against Russia. And, for example, there's been a judgment against Russia. The court has formally ordered Russia to stop the fighting. Now, obviously, we know that's not actually going to make a blind bit of difference to what Russian soldiers do on the ground, but it tells you that the principle of justice is still functioning in in wartime and eventually this war will end and there is at least a prospect that uh, justice will formally be done uh, against Russia for its war crimes. Big streaming services such as Netflix and Disney Plus will have to invest at least 5% of their Dutch turnover in productions with a link to the Netherlands. The Tweede Kamer has voted in favor of the plan drawn up by Culture Minister Gunai Uslu. She expects that the new legislation will generate 40 million euros in extra investment in Dutch film and television. The new legislation applies to streaming services with turnover of more than 10 million euros in the Netherlands. The investment should come either by co-producing programs or buying recent Dutch series and films to use. And some 60% of the series and documentaries will have to be made by an independent production house. An amendment to the legislation, backed by the coalition and right-wing parties, makes it possible for reality soaps and quiz shows to be covered by the deal and could account for as much as half of the investment. 
Uslu said during last week's debate on our plans that this addition undermines the original proposals. The legislation must still be approved by the upper house of parliament. And I'm not looking forward to even more Dutch series because they are often dreadful and terrible. <laughs> it sounds good and noble and a positive investment, but in practice what it's going to mean is just even more episodes of Expedition Robinson and uh, Flicken Maastricht, right? Or movies with Jan Smit about uh, yeah. Rotterdam bombardments. No. Exactly, yeah. Do we really need a bombardment to... Should we inflict that on the world? The bombardment too? No, we yeah. really don't need that. No. It, whenever there is a, a Dutch series or a movie i just can't watch it because the acting is always so bad the dialogues are so unnatural and so mm. stiff and it just always sounds terrible but i tell you what they should just give all the money to pierre bokma and tell him to just do yeah. a one-man show every week yeah on television yeah. Yeah. and that would that would be fine we only have a handful of good actors pierre bokma is one of them Clarice yeah. van houten perhaps too yes, even though she yeah. is spending her more of her time in jail recently maybe they'll be just me but part of this will now be there'll be more live coverage of Clarice van Houten blocking the A12 yes which will, uh, which will enrage um, yeah, everyone on Twitter so. yeah I am uh, I don't think this is a good plan let's uh, just invest in uh, British or American or a Scandinavian series and not so much in Dutch series because that's uh, nothing positive comes out of that cricket finally well almost uh, in fact this week's sports roundup features that rarest of things an all-conquering dutch men's team oh wow so amsterdam doesn't have to find excuses not to celebrate the wins no no but edwin van der Sar is staying well away from this anyway <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's the european championships uh, in uh, that uh, celebrate a sport of 10 pin bowling Aha, okay. and uh, the Netherlands are the defending champions. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, that's nice. I'm surprised you didn't know already. I was completely but... unaware we were good at bowling. <laughs> the five-man team upset the odds in Helsinki last year to beat the strong favourites Sweden in the semi-finals and then 2018 champions Italy in the final. And that was the first time in 27 years that the Dutch had won any kind of team medal at 10-pin bowling. Hmm. Today, Friday, is the first day of competition at this year's tournament in Wittelsheim, which is just outside Mulhouse in France. Uh, it's in Alsace, as the name might tell you. Wittelsheim. I was very confused by all these uh, names. NOS spoke to two members of the team, Jort van Veren and Nick de Gelder. Van Veren, who's 29, is planning to go to the United States next year to try to break into the professional bowling circuit, because unlike the Swedes and the Finns, who again are the favourites this year, the Dutch team are amateurs. Uh -huh. So that makes it quite an achievement, really, that they managed to win the title last year. So today I learned that in Scandinavia there are professional bowling teams, okay? Yes, international professional 10-pin bowling teams. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the Dutch team members said the key to the sport wasn't strength, but practice, agility and mental strength. They said around 60% of the game takes place in the head, and to that end, the Netherlands team employs a mental coach. Mm -hmm. Their other pro tip is to tape gauze to your thumbs to stop them getting blistered um, okay. in the holes in the bowling ball. And mopping up your spares is more important than getting strikes, apparently. To become a European champion, you need to convert around 95% of your spares. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Yes. So all good if you have any aspirations to become a European champion down at the bowling alley yes the championships in Mulhouse go on until June the 18th and we'll put a link to the European Bowling Federation's website in the liner notes so you can cheer the Dutch boys on yes um, 
Most of the sports seems to have been taking place uh, in court this week, though. Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, 14 AZ Alkmaar players have been convicted for taking part in the riots at the end of the Europa League semi-final against West Ham United last month. Okay, so uh, I I read this sentence uh, not too well uh, yesterday. I thought I read the word court, so I assumed it was about tennis, but that's not no. the case. <laughs> no, no, this is this is actual indoor courtrooms. And yes. There's no, okay. no balls being knocked about. All the 14 men were given community service orders of between 60 and 150 hours and seven of them were also sent to prison for 30 days and they've been banned from the Afas stadium in Alkmaar and its surroundings for the next two years so no trips to the cheese market for them <laughs> yes there have also been two court hearings this week involving the Dutch international winner Quincy Promes uh, Promes is accused of overseeing the import of more than 1,300 kilograms of cocaine in two batches to Amsterdam via Antwerp uh, in 2020. The 31-year-old player and an accomplice known as Marilio Fay were charged after police intercepted encrypted text messages in which Promes talked about sending runners to fetch the cargo which was hidden in consignments of salt. The Justice Department said Promes was part of a gang headed by a convicted Surinamese drug trafficker called Pete Vortel, and uh, the player had had to pay him a €250,000 fine in January when another batch of drugs was stolen by a rival gang. Police also tapped Promesse's phone as part of the investigation, and that gave up a crucial piece of evidence in a separate case, uh, because Promesse uh, allegedly mentioned in a phone call that he'd stabbed his nephew at a family party in Abkauda in July 2020. Uh, the nephew was stabbed in the leg after Promesse accused him of stealing his aunt's necklace, but Promesse said he was aiming for his neck. In possibly related news, Promes recently took three penalties in a match for his club, Spartak Moscow, and missed two of them. <laughs> yes, he has uh, fled basically to Russia, didn't he? Yeah, he basically fled to Russia. I mean, the uh, stabbing incident was in July 2020, and then two months later in September, Ajax sold him to Moscow for uh, 8 million euros uh, in mm -hmm. quite a hasty deal. Um, and as a result of that, of course, Promes was not in court for the hearings because he lives in Russia, and uh, it's very difficult, nigh and impossible, to, to extradite anybody from Russia at the moment. And there's some reports he's been he's been offered Russian citizenship, which would make him which would make him immune from extradition, although he's denied that. And also yes. his lawyer Robert Malevich has said that um, the evidence uh, in the stabbing case uh, shouldn't be admitted in court because it emerged during a completely unrelated investigation into the drug deals. But yes. uh, either way you cut it, uh, Promise seems to be in an absolute heap of trouble. Yes, and um, he was also visited by Ziyech in Russia this week, wasn't yes. he? That also caused uh, quite a stir. Yeah, Hakim Ziyech, his old Ajax teammate, who's currently at Chelsea, uh, yeah, turned up uh, in Moscow uh, and was uh, photographed at a party with uh, Quincy Promes. Yeah. So quite a staggering scene. Not scenes. a good look, yes. And uh, finally, just briefly, we should say uh, that Almira City are on the verge of a promotion to the Eredivisie, so the first club in Flevoland ever to play top-flight football, possibly. They won the first leg of their uh, playoff game against Emmen, who are trying to stay in the Eredivisie 2-0. The second leg is on Sunday uh, in Emmen. So uh, whoever wins goes to the Eredivisie, or how does this work? Emmen were in the Eredivisie last year and the team that finishes above the relegation zone uh, has to then play off for a place against uh, six clubs I think from the Kogenkampion Divisie and mm. this is the final of that uh, playoff so either Amira City get promoted or Emmen stay in the division and uh, Emmen just got a new uh, stadium sponsor right the uh, 
the, did, yeah. And norm. also because it will be the last match for Dick Lukin before he moves to Groningen, who mm-hmm. who, uh, who finished below Emmen last yeah. season and, and, and were, were definitively relegated. Yes. I only have one more final question. Yeah. Is there cricket news? This week, there is no cricket news. No, oh, no. But we can announce that uh, next week we will have a preview of the crucial ICC World Cup qualifying matches uh, in Zimbabwe, where the Netherlands are playing. So, cricket fans, be sure to tune in. I will definitely tune in. Yeah, good. Otherwise, it yeah, won't be much for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and we'll be back next week. (music) 